Hello, and welcome to The Great Collide, where we explore the intersection between politics and faith. I'm Leanne Noland, going solo today. And so when David Zoll writes about anthropology, he's not talking about studying some ancient culture or a trendy clothing store. He's talking about what we believe human beings are like and how these beliefs can shape our views on our two favorite subjects, politics and religions. And so we are so excited to have David with us today. He's the founder and director of Mockingbird Ministries. He's also editor-in-chief of the Mockingbird blog and co-host of the Mockingcast podcast. He's also written several books, including his latest, Low Anthropology. And so welcome, David. We're so glad to have you with us. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me, Leanne. It's a real pleasure. In your book, you talk about how having an accurate anthropology really opens us up to um, to hope. Mm. And so to say anthropology, it's a little more detailed than that. There's low and high anthropology. So can you explain uh, those two terms for us? Sure. Well, for the purposes of the book, and I mean, just in, in general, I think everyone has some kind of concept of or sense of human nature that they're working with. When we use the phrase, I'm only human, everyone um, has something they mean by that. There's some substance to it. And sometimes it's you know spelled out and sometimes it's just um, kind of cobbled together or unconscious. But um, we all have things that we think, you know, you know, that we're human beings are capable of, or what are, what are we good at? What are we not so good at? What are our sort of limits, if any, um, and sort of what are the blind spots? In the book, I try to chart anthropologies on a continuum of high to low, of sort of a high anthropology being a kind of a, a more, um, human beings may not be perfect, but, or, or perfectible, but we're, we're, we're pretty darn great. And we're capable of, of incredible achievements and but but that's actually the most true thing about us is that we're sort of good and getting better uh, vastly improvable human beings as improvable um, these are kind of just uh, rough outlines of, of the shape of low and high anthropology a low anthropology is a more sober estimation of human nature it's not the idea that human people are bad versus good but it's that we all have real limits to what we're capable of and to the way that our motivations work. If you want to get to know someone, if you want to love them, you need to find out sort of what their struggles are, what their weaknesses are, rather than just what their strengths are. The great example of the low anthropology that I use in the book, because it sounds, a low anthropology can sound a little insulting about human nature. It's not... Um, uh, 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 a hyper flattering view, uh, but Anne Lamott, who many of us enjoy her work, uh, the writer, she says that uh, human beings are, or everyone is broken, clingy, and scared. And they are, uh, they have it far less together than you think they do. Um, and in, in other words, people are much more like you than you would care to believe. So try not to compare your insides with their outsides. Now, that version of people as being clingy and scared and broken uh, doesn't sound flattering. And yet when you hear that, that phrase and the way she talks about trying not to compare your insides with other people's outsides, there's a compassion, I think, that is communicated. And a little bit people feel recognized and kind of hopeful that they're not the only one who is just piecing things together <laughs> and that the, the, the if you really want to get to know someone or uh, you need to know um, 
yeah, what what what's what bothers them and what what where they where they suffer rather than their greatest achievements. So you then, as as we talk about high low anthropology, you use Steve Jobs's speech as an example of high anthropology, and um, he talks about having the courage to follow your heart. Uh, that sounds really uplifting. So what what could be wrong with viewing humans this way? Well, it's it's not, I mean, if you have a person who's been never been validated or told that you have something important to contribute, and that's a lot of people, um, then the Steve Jobs telling you to have the courage of your convictions and your intuitions will tell you where you need to go, that you sort of already possess everything you need, that can be very inspiring. However, if you are a 21-year-old listening to that speech at a graduation and you don't know who you are, um, or you are pretty certain that your roommate got a whole lot better intuition than you did, or your sibling seems to have a much easier time uh, getting other people to like them or uh, getting good grades or whatever it is that you value, well, then that kind of... um, that kind of high anthropology that Steve Jobs is communicating can breed a sort of isolation and judgment. And uh, in fact, the sense that I alone am the exception to the human race as someone who doesn't know who they are or who knows they, who they are one day and then doubts it the next day and um, really um, wonders, where's my good intuition? You know, you're, or, or you're, you're 45 and you're no longer 21 and you think, gosh, I thought I was following my intuition. And let me tell you, I made some terrible decisions. Uh, is there, where's the, where's the hope for me? I don't feel recognized in his statement. I feel condemned by it. <laughs> um, and maybe that's an erotic view, but I find in, I'm a, I'm a, I'm, I work at an Episcopal church and I preach to people. And when you recognize the ubiquity of pain in people's lives, they actually feel, instead of feeling condemned, um, they actually f- feel relieved. And, and there's a way, especially if you're able to talk about God's love and presence in the midst of that, people feel truly uplifted. Whereas if you just sort of have a, a kind of a, uh, a Pollyanna view of, uh, you know, you're great. Just, there's nothing wrong with you. You're special. Don't believe anyone else. Um, just shout it at people louder. That can, it sounds nice, but it can be superficial when um, you, when storms come, you know, and life doesn't work out the way you hoped it would. And, and you find yourself to be even complicit in some of your struggles. And that sounds like a good framework that pastors can even work out of and when when developing sermons and just really keeping in mind that yeah the Pollyanna view and to be so glad is not indeed uh the universal truth for people and so uh in your book you you talk about society and the deep divisions within our society why do you think that low anthropology is a way to kind of help combat this? It kind of comes back to contrasting it with high anthropology. I think a high anthropology tends to view that there are, there are good people and then there are bad actors. You know, there are those who get it and those who don't. You are part of the problem or you're part of the solution. And so it, you end up setting up a, 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 you know, and sometimes people are lead are led to these conclusions through deep convictions about right and wrong however 
when you use these categories to uh, label people as those are the right kind of people and those are the wrong kind of people. And we do this in the political spheres all the time. We used to do it in other ways. And now the acceptable way seems to be to do it politically. You basically start to say, if only those people over there would get out of the way, then a uh, progress would move forward. And you start to um, view other people, uh, view people that you don't like as sort of other and a kind of almost like another species uh, or is, or is um, categorically bad or um, insane, you know? And uh, my experience of other people, the ones that I even disagree with vehemently on politics is that if you get to know them, even if you don't agree with them, you find that they've got their own set of struggles that they're operating out of and rarely do they, are they coming at it from feeling um, malicious. Uh, that in fact, separating the world into good people and bad people tends to be a, a fairly dehumanizing way of going about things. So my, and my sense as a Christian is that, um, you know, we're, it's a unifying message that uh, we're all children of God and that, um, and and you know, the traditional language would be sinners in need of redemption. Um, people uh, created in the image of God, uh, fallen from grace, and uh, hoping for some kind of deliverance. So, I, I anyway, that to to say that all that to say is that a high anthropology tends to categorize people and label them, and a low anthropology looks for connection and the connection is not usually at the point of strength but the point of weakness now what i mean by that is i may have shared have different values than you you know if you read uh, i may have my my politics may be dictated by i care very much about this particular issue and you care very much about that particular issue which puts us on different sides and things or um however we may be separated in those regards but i guarantee you we will be united by the fact that neither of us lives up to our values perfectly. Um, that in some sense, we are all works in progress. And um, and I can have much more breathing room and compassion and interest in another person if I can, if, if our, the, the foundation of our discussion or our discourse or our simply our relationship is a, is a common frailty and, uh, and a common need or uh, rather than a sort of a righteousness, I guess you could say. And that, that sounds counterintuitive, but in my, in my experience, it's true. I, I think that this is why we always want to get people in the rooms rather than on actually in room together to, to, to speak rather than sort of throwing stones from behind screens. Because when you're confronted with the fact that another person is actually real, um, and usually by that, that means that they're, um, that they're subject to, you know, they... They have strange, you know, mannerisms and and maybe slightly, uh, maybe they like the same soft drink as you do, you know, or or they you both have the same pet peeve about, you know, the traffic cops in your in your uh, city. I don't know what it is, but these kinds of common foibles tend to unite us uh, rather than the facade of perfect righteousness. Yeah, it reminds me of the saying: "We fear that which we don't know." And if we don't, yeah, if we don't, if, if we don't know, how do we have an accurate perception of, of who our, our neighbor is and, and what that looks like? Mm. And so you, uh, you use the example of friends buying a Tesla um, as, as a way of explaining how two people 
uh, can see the same thing from different viewpoints. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Well, it's funny, in the time since I wrote the book, Elon Musk has clearly become quite a, a slightly different character than he was when I was writing the book. This is all pre-Twitter. Um, when I was uh, writing the book, if, if people can sort of have that much imagination, Elon Musk was sort of seen as a bit of a genius and uh, this uh, amazing um, entrepreneur that the, the likes of the world had never seen. But um, it has nothing. It has. Uh, I would. I was. I was using the example of a couple here at our church who bought a Tesla and were um, there on opposite. You know, sometimes happens within marriages. You know, one person is conservative and one person is more progressive. And in this case, it was um, the 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 wife in the equation was very. Um, she's an environmentalist. And she that, that that's what really matters to her. And so she wanted to get an electric car for that reason and to save on fossil fuels. And she said, you know, that I also think these are basic, more affordable. And she had this very um, political reasons, you might say, or ideological reasons for wanting a Tesla. And the man in the equation, um, my who's a friend of mine, he was also he's he was he would call himself a libertarian and he would say, Oh, I just so admire Musk's, you know, mastery of of the markets and I like how fast this thing goes and it looks cool. And, and uh, I, I think I've got, I've invested some money in the, in the, in the, in the, in the company and I want to see it do well. And so both of these, these, these people in this, it was uniting, but it was very interesting to me that they, it was like a Rorschach test, this Tesla um, that they bought uh, was, and you know, the truth is there's probably also some sense of which is a status thing for both of them that maybe you don't want, no one wants to admit that, but it's a Rorschach test. And I think that there's a lot of things, uh, anthropology, low anthropo anthropology, low anthropology can function that way too. That's why I felt wrote about that story because there are things in a low anthropology that a progressive would, would, would really gravitate towards. And there are things in a low anthropology that a more conservative person would, but you sort of see what you want to see. So David, you write that the real drivers in politics aren't numbers, statistics, and reason, but that they're actually fear, hope, love, and belonging. Mm -hmm. So how can understanding that help bridge political divides, do you think? I mean, I think that's sort of self-evidently true, you know, when, especially to, maybe it's modern politics where, where you have a lot of, it's very personality driven, um, but people say, you know, winning hearts and, and um, you know, he, he won me over through, or she, she had the, the, you know, her, there was something about her that just made me feel like I trusted her. You know, it's an emotional response. And one of the real uh, contentions of a, of a low anthropology is that human beings are primarily emotional creatures or affective creatures. We, we are emotional before we are intellectual. We're, we're thinking people, but um, if you want to get to really uh, understand another person and why they act the way they do, you need to understand their desires and what it is they love. And that's a, a Christian idea. It's a August. It's, 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 that's really directly from St. Augustine. In terms of bringing people together, it, it's not a conflating of different viewpoints so much, meaning like you can believe strongly that this is right and you can believe strongly that this is wrong, but it's an appeal to the imagination. Can you, do you have the imagination to imagine why someone might feel the different other ways like what, what would or if 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 i'm telling you 
crazy and evil are off the table in terms of what another what's driving another person to vote. And a lot of people would say, no, they're just they're just evil. They're just or they're just deluded or something like that. But do we have the imagination to wonder, well, well why would if those two things are not options, do I have the imagination to to understand what fears, what loves, uh, what hopes uh, what might be involved in that uh, equation, the, that decision making process? And I think people generally, if you if you t- if you if you're operating on, uh, you know, quick reactivity, then you're not going to think in these terms. But if you can take a beat and try to exercise the imagination, even the political imagination, you have a shot at, again, it doesn't mean you agree with the other person, but you might, you you would certainly not hate them in the same way if you can put yourself in their shoes. It's, it's really, that's all it is. Uh, but to put yourself in another person's shoes is not so much to figure out what their intellectual reasons are for being a yellow dog Democrat or a, you know, GOP, you know, MAGA person, but to think about emotionally what might put a person in that position. And that's going to be the way into love as well, I think, always. Again, it's not trying to force people to believe, have the same convictions, but to give a little bit more space to the uh, emotional underpinning um, of, of, of the person that you perceive as other. That's, that's always what I'm trying to get people to do in that section. It sounds a lot like, like empathy. Is it similar to that? Yeah, it's definitely similar to that. Again, another thing I try to say in the book is one of the chief reasons you think, for example, we think that that, uh, other family in church just has it all together and they have no problems and they look so immaculate every Sunday. I don't know if, I mean, that's a refrain you hear from people. Is a, a low anthropology would say that you only think that because you don't know them very well. If you really got to know them, you would find out that, you know, and, and people who are in ministry find this, this is borne out all the time, that the folks who seem to have it all together behind closed doors, sometimes they will share their pain. And it turns out no one gets out of this alive, you know? Um, I, for example, I was... Um, uh, with a with a someone this morning who is someone that I've had a hard time loving before, you know, and I uh, and I sort of did this appointment because I, um, you know, I don't really like the bumper stickers that they feel led to put on the back of their car, and and this this person told me something I never knew, and I never knew that he was raised uh, with four other brothers by a, a, a st- single mother who. There were there were three other dads in the equation, and he'd never talked to his dad. And it's just like, and again, I don't, I don't. All of a sudden, my my ideology didn't shift, but I thought to myself, oh, this guy's been dealing with a lot. You know, that's 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 a hard. And the way he shared it, he's like, you know, I, I his father tried to get in touch with him for the first time in forty one years, and he wasn't sure he was ready for that. And I thought to myself, you know, regardless of what this guy may be spouting off about on Facebook, that is a uh, a human emotion. And I can have some sympathy for him. So that's it is empathy. Um, but so what I what I what I said though, I want to I want to just go back to it because the chief reason I think the people are who are so immaculate, three rows ahead of me in church, are 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 problem free, is that I don't know them very well. The opposite is true as well. The chief reason I think so and so is so evil is because I don't know them very well. 
If I got to know them very well, I might still find their behavior reprehensible, but I guarantee you, you will find, um, you know, this is what a lot of great drama is about. You find out that every, you know, uh, the villains are capable of, of, of great good and very great, wonderful people are also capable of horrible acts. I mean, this is a, we have a, we are human beings. We're not uh, uh, white hats and, and, you know, uh, gray hats or what's the, you know, heroes and villains. So that help answer. I, it is empathy in, in what I want to say, but empathy has become almost a bad word because sometimes people feel like it's excusing another person. Um, and it's not excusing, but it is explaining. And if you can explain why someone is the way they are, you, 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 you're, that's the first road toward loving them. What does faith of a low anthropology look like? <laughs> Well, it um, it doesn't um, look to in, in politics. I think that modern political machines have have understood, and they've understood this for a long time. That if you really want to s- sell a candidate to to a population, you have to pitch them as a savior, and as almost uh, inhumanly perfect. And you saw that, you know, in America, we saw that with Barack Obama, and then four years later, we saw it with Donald Trump. There was this is sort of larger than life. It, it's this constant cycle of messianic projection, depending on where you're sitting. And um, I think faith is born out of the idea that there is a God, but you, you know, uh, you're not God, you know, and that uh, politics will not, um, can do enormous good to restrain misbehavior and to uh, encourage those who have been and help those who have been overlooked but it cannot fundamentally alter human nature, which I think is, again, a, a great relief in terms of looking to see what what is uh, what political systems and are, are capable of and what they're incapable of. So if you're looking to it to deliver the human race from sin and death, you know, um, you're going to be very disappointed and become a very bitter person. But if you're looking to politics to do what we can to inhibit sin and to um, promote the good, uh, then I think we stand a chance at actually using them for uh, in non-exhausting and hopefully healing type of ways. Well, do you have anything else, David, that you would be remiss if you did not share it before we close? I think that a, a low anthropology and faith, the idea is here that we are united in our need and not only um, our need for help from one another, and our neighbors, but our need for God and our need for God's mercy and forgiveness and, and God's power and um, and the more God is the source of life. You know, I think that um, I uh, if I that's a, a that's something I think we a unifying basis uh, for uh, hope. Um, I, th- I think sometimes people think a low anthropology sounds like it's a cynical view of human nature. And I, I really don't think so. I think it's, it's, at least if you're a Christian, you believe that there's in such a thing as the Holy Spirit and that God is active in, in the world. And to put more and more faith in humanity is to set yourself up for disappointment and, and bitterness and uh, rage, resentment uh, to, to, to see people as they actually are, you stand a chance at loving them and putting hope in God to do the good work. And we see that. I think, I think it's the difference between walking through the world with a, um, 
expectation that people be better than they are and therefore continually disappointed and resentful versus being in awe at the amount of beautiful and loving acts that do occur and the way that God's hand moves through the world. And sometimes in political, you know, realms, like we're not, uh, th- that's not somehow cordoned off from, um, from God's, uh, you know, jurisdiction or purview or kingdom. I've learned a lot and am just so thankful that you're here to, to share and, um, and to share your insight. And just, I, I now will be thinking of low anthropology quite a bit, um, and encourage folks to take a look at your book as well, low anthropology. And so we thank you so much for joining us today. That's all the time that we have, but be sure to download all of our episodes as we explore the intersection of politics and faith. Subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform, leave us a review, and most importantly, tell your friends. Go to gcbm.org for all the links. The Great Collide is a production of the Greater Chicago Broadcast Ministries, a communications ministry of the Protestant Orthodox and Episcopal Churches of Greater Chicago, in cooperation with the Council of Religious Leaders of Metropolitan Chicago. I'm Leanne Noland. Keep the faith.